You have to live with everything. You just have to live with it and you have to accept 100% of everything. Like the parts of you that you don't like, the parts of you that you don't like in others, that is really a reflection on some part of yourself that you don't like. You just have to get really comfortable with it. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I'm so excited for Anthony Anarino. Yes, that's a mouthful, listeners. And if you want to spell it, we'll have it in the uh, notes so you can Google him. But Anthony is a speaker, author, coach, consultant, entrepreneurs. He is, for me at work, my sales guru. We have hired Anthony's company to come work with us. And I'm super thrilled to have him today. Anthony, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You're the best. So, uh, listeners, I was, I, we had brought in Anthony to Cincinnati for some sales training for a group. And then I had a follow up call with him a couple of weeks later. Of course, I invited him to the podcast and he said to me, Why, Sarah, are you selling me on this? And I was like, Hell yeah, I am, buddy. I'm the one I that does the selling. You do I the buying, I, but now you I turned applied. it around. <laughs> I applied what you taught me. You got to ask. All right. So I love many of your stories. And one of them is your uh, history as a rock and roller. Mm -hmm. And so will you start us out with, tell us about that rock and roll journey and, and the subsequent health situation. Uh, do you want the really fun story? Well, yeah, but then I want the really like, dire story yeah i could tell you both of those stories we'll we'll okay. start with the uh, how the band got its name because that, that's a really fun story oh okay there was a a girl that i like named debbie and we were going to play at a skating rink on the east side of columbus because i worked at the north <laughs> side one hold on and we, did you just say skating rink yeah i started i worked at a skating rink from 15 to 17. it's amazing okay i was the I was the um, giant skatosaurus for Saturday mornings, and I was the DJ on Thursdays and Fridays. And yeah. uh, I did a whole can bunch of things. Can you skate backwards? Of course I can skate backwards. Oh, my God. Can you put one leg up? I can skate backwards dressed as a giant skatosaurus. <laughs> so we decided we were going to play at the East Side Skating Rink. And okay. we, we had a lot of people that we, we passed out flyers. We, we told all of our friends that we were going to play. And I didn't know that this guy named Jeff really liked Debbie. And we played this gig. And after we were done, um, he confronted me in our dressing room to tell me that he was there for oh. Debbie. Oh, gosh. And, and then he told me he was going to do something to me that wasn't really pleasant in, in its uh, tone or, or just the actual content of the sentence wasn't very nice. I see. And um, it was me standing in front of him, not being conflict averse at all. I'm just looking at him. But he didn't know that my brother was the bass player. And uh, my brother hit him so hard it took him off of his feet. And oh uh, the name of our band was Rock Candy. 
I hated that name. And the Rock reason I hated that name Candy. is... Yeah, that was Motley Crue's uh, lead singer, Vince Neil's band, before he joined Motley Crue. And to get the guitar player that we needed, we had to con- we had to concede that he could name the band. So he named it Rock no Candy, way. and I hated that. It was a terrible okay. name. It wasn't didn't sound like us, so it was a problem for me. When Jeff got up, he said, I've got a gun. And he never made it across the skating rink floor uh, because he got held down so that nothing bad could happen. Uh, there was a little bit of chaos. Yeah. There were people who were unhappy that were there. And everything ended up okay except for Chad took a switch blade knife and popped all of Jeff's tires. And uh, oh my that was God. that was the that was about the end of the the melee, I guess you would call it. So it was a little bit of a problem. The next day, we had to go out and get our money. They owed us okay. six hundred dollars. We all got in an El Camino. There's like six of us, and we all drive out to the skating rink. And I'm like, all right, let's go in and get the check. And I step out of the El Camino and I'm by myself. And I'm like, come on, you guys. And they're like, no, you're the singer. You go in and get the money. You booked the gig. And I called them names and I tried to get them to come in with me so I wasn't by myself. Now I'm right. I'm 17. So I'm I'm young. <clears throat> I'm not afraid of people. I've I've not been no. afraid of people since I'm like twelve or thirteen. And I walk in and I sit down and I start talking to the manager who is an old person. He's like 32. 40? Oh. 32. Yeah. Like he's like, he's not a young person. And he said, I'm not paying you. I'm not going to pay you. You caused a riot. And I said, well, it wasn't a riot. It was really more of a scuffle. And uh, mm. using my diplomacy and my ability to take it down a level or two. And he said, people bring their children here and their parents need to know that they're safe. Mm-hmm. And somebody here had a gun. And we said, well, we don't know if we had a gun or not, but he never made it to his car if he would have had one because we made sure that that didn't happen. And I, I'm, I'm talking and I'm talking. And then finally I get to the point where I just have to start begging. I'm like, listen, we had to rent the equipment. We had to get a lighting guy. We had to do all these things. We got you the money. We brought 500 people to to your venue uh we need to be paid so this went on for i don't know 20 25 minutes a long time way too long i'm suffering the whole time i'm there trying to get the money the name of the band was rock candy i hated that name (laughs) at some point he picks up an envelope and he puts it in front of me and he says i'm going to give you this money but i want you to know you boys are going to have a bad reputation. And I said, thank you. And I took the check and I walked out kind of stunned that I got the money. I didn't expect to get the money. I figured he was going to keep yeah. giving me a hard time. And as right. I'm walking out, everybody's smiling and I'm walking in front of me, sort of shell shocked, holding an envelope in front of me and they can see the envelope and they're like, we got paid. And I said, we got more than that. We got a new name. And they said, what's our new name? 
Or Bad Reputation. Bad Reputation. <laughs> Such a better name. I was so happy that that happened because there's no way you could come up with that name with a better story than that one. Uh, we were a terrible rock and roll band. Uh, we had to play our own songs because we didn't know how to play other people's songs. And eventually we got to be really good. And I went to California to front a hair metal band. But to do that, I had to get a job. So I ended up yeah. working for a staffing company. I had a new manager and the new manager made me go into outside sales because I sold more than his three salespeople trying not to be a salesperson. I mean, what all I was really trying to do is help people. So I would call and ask people if they were having problems getting the labor that they needed. And some said, yeah, we are. And other people said no. And the ones that met with me, normally they liked me. I gave them a contract, they signed it, and I started taking care of their business. I was a really Can good I... salesperson before my boss made me a salesperson. Then I became a terrible salesperson. Okay, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I, I uh, you know, when I first met you, you're not what I would describe as like the typical sales guy. Uh, it's all around openness and helping people. It's not a push and pull from you. No. It's a, hey, I'm going to offer to help you. If you want the help, fantastic. If you don't, that's okay too. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I think it's sales gets such a bad rap. And I think it's such a beautiful way of service to well, people. Human beings like to keep their autonomy. So if I feel like you're trying to box me in, then I feel like yeah. I have to start defending myself. Now I have to start doing something different to protect myself from being taken advantage of. When you start the conversation and you say, you know, something like, I don't know if this is something that you guys are going to want to pursue or not. I want to share this with you anyway. If you decide that it's important, we'll know that and we'll have another conversation. If it's not the yeah. right time, we'll still be here. You'll know how we think. And um, if you do need help, you'll know how we might think about this together. And so I'm giving them back the autonomy that they already have. I'm not giving them anything they don't already have. They can say no if they want to. But when yeah. you tell them, like, it's okay for you to say no, then they're like, well, now I don't really feel like I need to say no because you gave me my freedom. Like, right? I'm not now under any pressure to do anything except for have a chat. It's, it's such a shift in energy uh and like feel for me and i i can't put words to describe it it's almost like okay it's maybe control versus acceptance yeah it's maybe lack versus abundance yeah there's no doubt i mean i'm an abundant thinker i'm not a scarcity guy i just had an argument with a guy a friend of mine he said the world is just all scarcity and I'm like, no, that's your belief system about this. And he said, we're yes. going to run out of oil and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, why do you think we're going to have oil for the rest of our lives? Why, why do you think that there's not another idea? The thing that I'm certain about is that human imagination and creativity uh, can't be scarce. It can't be. Uh, it, it's renewable. Like you have an idea. Well, if you're me, you have an idea, and then four minutes later, you have another idea. Sarah, you're probably like that, too, I think. Like, I yes. had a good idea. Now I have another good idea. Now I have another yes. good idea. <laughs> like, they keep so coming. I want to write two books now. And so I'm thinking, what's the first one I write? Because I have multiple ideas. Now, that could be a good thing. 
but it can also be a distractor. So it's really getting focused and harnessing that energy. Uh, but I love, I, I do love that you are that uh, abundance mentality and not scarcity. And I feel like I heard you say one time that when you decided you wanted to write a book or build a business, you, every day, didn't you get up and, and write? Yeah. Like you had to put some discipline and rigor behind creating your dreams. I wrote uh, 2,000 words this morning at four o'clock in the morning. At four o'clock in the morning, I get out of bed. The coffee's already on. So that's that's the real trick. Like first off, it's yeah. quiet. There's nobody here. Second, there's yeah. coffee. So if there's coffee, I'm happy. Uh, I wrote a thousand word uh, blog post <clears throat> and then I wrote another one. Um, over the last 60 days, I wrote a thousand word blog post every day and I wrote a book. So um, it's just a discipline. I'm curious, did any of that change during COVID? Because I just was listening to uh, an author on a podcast this morning, and she was saying how COVID really impacted her creativity. And uh, she couldn't read nonfiction books during COVID. So did it impact your creativity? COVID impact your creativity? No, not not even. Uh, at the beginning, it really fired it up. I wrote probably 30, 40 days in a row just about how to process this and, and how to that. start thinking about how you get through it and that we are going to get through it and we're going to go back to normal. I hate the new normal thing. Like, we're going back to normal. Human beings like to be together. You look at, like, the you football You think we stadium. are going back to the normal? How key, oh, 100%. Human behavior hasn't changed much for uh, millions of years. Like we're social animals. We're, we're not going to cower in our home. Okay, so let's dis let's define normal. So when you're talking normal, you're talking connection with people, getting in person, things like that. Is that what you mean? I, I'm talking about the things that humans have been doing for a very, very long time. Uh, we spend time with each other. Uh, we yes. sing songs together. We have meals together. We procreate. Not during the pandemic, apparently, though. It looks like the birth rate's down under the pandemic. I don't know why. Everybody's at home really? alone. You would think, like, we should have a giant baby boom right now for that. I would have thought that, too. But the pandemic maybe slowed that down. I don't think that human relationships are going to change over this. Because if you look through history, when Marcus Aurelius died, uh, he probably died of smallpox. They lived with smallpox for 15 years in Rome, but before he died, uh, we've not had an experience like that. So people went back to doing the things that people do. Yeah. They love their family. They start businesses. They go to work. They take care of their people. Um, we, we do all these things. Everything will be back to normal at some point. I think that there is a shift in priorities for people. No I think this gave people an opportunity to, okay, I'll speak for myself, a time to reflect, a time to recaliber how much time I want to spend socializing and who I want to spend time socializing. Because I would go to these parties and whatever because I was supposed to, not because I necessarily wanted to. And now I'm choosing and I don't have the ob obligatory. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, for sure. Did Everybody that impact started you? Absolutely.
I have a midlife crisis about every, I don't know, three or four years. How does your wife deal with that? Good. <laughs> my, my, mine has nothing to do with uh, women or red cars. Like mine, Good. mine Good has to you. do with what I want my life to look like. Okay. Yeah. So then do you revision and such? All the time. All the time. I, I keep uh, a bunch of journals. I, I keep a lot of different journals. Decision journals, prediction journals, business Wait, journals. Tell me what tell me what decision journal is. <laughs> One of the ways that you can be less dumb over time. I mean now it takes time, but less dumb over time is mm -hmm. to write down the decisions you make and what you were thinking about when you made the decision. So I'm not going to do a a postmortem. I'm going to do a premortem. I'm going to say like what is my thinking? Where might I be wrong? Am I still doing it even though it could be wrong because I want to? And then I go back and I look at the decisions and I decide, yeah, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. What did I miss? Here's one. I had somebody that I brought onto my team. I needed a, I'm a visionary. So when you're a visionary, you need an execution person. And I thought I had an execution person, but I had a visionary. <laughs> and he wanted to be an execution person. Except he's not disciplined enough to execute. So that, yeah. that ended up being a problem for me. And, and I didn't realize you can't, you, you don't need another visionary. You already have too many ideas. You, you've got to stop. You can't have that many things going at the same time. You got to do the work that you need to do right now. And I can go back and look at that and say, yeah, that's what my lesson was. It looked good at the time. And this guy actually helped somebody else who I have a lot of appreciation for. And good. I thought that might have, be how it works for me. It didn't work that way for me. Uh, yeah. That's how it goes. Okay, so decision journal. What was the next one? Prediction uh -huh. journal. Pre yeah, yeah. What's that? Whenever I'm, it, I, I, barely make, I, I make very few predictions. Uh, but when I do, I'm right. And it's because I still know something. Give me an example. Uh, I wrote in May of 2020 mm -hmm. that by June 2021, we would start seeing people say, we're bringing everybody back together into the office because it's not working and the young people are not being able to find their way through the culture and they're not disciplined enough and we're going to make everybody go back to work. And I had a feeling it would be big corporations. And the first one was JP Morgan about a month before my prediction. So they were a little bit really? ahead of me. Yeah. And I, I write those down just to check my thinking. Like if sometimes I'm wrong and, and sometimes I'm right. Normally if I predicted it's because I believe I'm right. <laughs> I don't make a lot of like guesses. And when you made that prediction, do you tend to gather data or are you pulling that prediction from gut or is it both? I look backwards to figure out what the future looks like. So I'm going to look backwards. Has there ever been an event where people stopped going to places together to work, to eat, for entertainment? It's never happened. When was that? When what? Right. So how did you? So I, I know that young people 
aren't disciplined enough to work at home, number one. They're quitting in large numbers because they were put at home alone and they can't get anything done. They don't know anybody. Now, look, if you're 52 or 48 and you've been working for a company for 12 years, you know everybody and you know how to get things done. But a person who just got here, that's a terrible experience for them. And it turns out that you can't collaborate very well over this this Zoom that we're doing is as close as you can get. It's not the same. It's not the same as being in in the, the same room and having a presence and doing the work that humans do together when they think and they solve problems. So I look backwards to go like, has it ever, like, did anything like this ever stop people mm-hmm. from living the lives that, that we've, we've built? And the answer is no. Um, I don't have any evidence that there's any time that people stopped. Is there another prediction that you've written that uh, the, the timeline isn't up yet that you want to share with us and then we can see if it's come true? I have a put on the Dow Industrial Average that's at about $355 today for a share of an ETF that tracks the Dow. And I have a bet. A put means I believe that it's going to go down to 310 Okay. So that means the Dow crashes. It goes from you do you have that you have that yeah, in your I, prediction I journal. A, I yeah I have a thousand dollars that I I made a thousand dollar bet that it goes down, and I have until March thirty first, and if it goes down to three ten, uh, my thousand dollars is sixty thousand dollars. So that that's called skin in the game. I I I made a bet. <laughs> I write down my why I thought that's true. Why do I think that's true? Yeah, because yeah. I think a lot of people that don't want to get the vaccine are not going to get the vaccine. And so when OSHA installs a rule that says you're going to get the vaccine or you're going to get a test, we already have proof that people aren't going to work today. They've evaluated their lives. They're not taking those jobs. And they're not going to take that job if they have to get a COVID test every week or a vaccine. So I think they're going to run the economy into a ditch and uh, it won't have to be that big of a ditch because the market always overreacts any news that's good is the best news ever in the history of the universe and a little bit of bad news is the worst thing that's ever happened so it's like basically the the market is like a two-year-old like uh, if give me ice cream or i'm gonna have a temper tantrum i mean that's basically how it works so, Anthony, how will that recal? Will we ever bounce back? Yeah. So if it, so it'll go down for a little bit, right? The ditch that you called it, and, and then come right back up. What will be the impetus for? What do you think will be the impetus for people going back to work? Or do you not think the th- th- everything that I've read? Basically, they don't want to go back to work where they're not treated well, where they're not yeah. respected, yeah, uh, where the work is meaningless, and, and where they don't have a great experience. And and until people start to figure this out, and you know this because of what you do, like you know this, yeah. if, yes. if you you don't treat people well and you don't give them some reason to show up there, they're not going to stay. So we're, we're going to have a resorting. And if you've not seen the demographic information, it's terrible. No, we, no, we, tell me. 
the birth rate for the last decade was 6.6%. That's the lowest it's ever been in, in modern times, uh, with the exception of one decade, 1930 to 1940. And, and why would there have been so right. few babies in World 19- War II? Yeah. yeah. If you yeah. get all the men out of the country, it turns out you have fewer babies. So that, that, <laughs> that, that's, that's what happened then. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult time for people. And the pandemic, I think, broke a lot of things free for people. And the, yeah. as you described at the beginning, it's sort of like, why am I doing that when I don't enjoy it? I don't want to go there. I don't want to be with these people right now. I have something else that's more important to me. People started to shift their priorities. So you asked me at the beginning about what happened to me, and I had a brain surgery. So the brain surgery, when you lose a piece of your brain and you have two surgeries and you're 25, you get clarity. You just get a different level of clarity about what's important, and uh, it changes you. And, and How did it change you? Um, changed me in a whole bunch of ways. I, I became more serious. The, the biggest sort of panic that I had was I lost a piece of my brain. I d- they never told me they were going to cut a piece of my brain off when I had the surgery. They told me that when I woke up. Can I ask a question? When they cut out a piece of the of your brain, did it impact anything physically in your body? Because when I, I mean, I, I met you in person, I'm talking to you now, it would seem as though nothing is different about you. I, I You're don't, like everybody else. I don't have a, a lot of feeling in the tips of my fingernails or fingertips. And uh, mm-hmm. the worst part of it was I had a dripping sound in my head for about 90 days. And I kept telling the doctor, like, you didn't do something right. I have like a drip. There's something going on there. And he said, that's actually a vein and it's pulsing. You're, you're, what you're hearing is the pulse. It was really disconcerting though, because it goes on for hours and you're, you're going to sleep and it's quiet and you just keep hearing it's like a drip. It was like like a a, water torture. Yeah. It was exactly like a water torture. I didn't love that. Other than that, I stayed home for about, it's called 60-ish days, maybe 75. Yes. And then I just just got back and started doing what I was doing before that. I started playing rock and roll again and started working. I wasn't allowed to drive for two years, but I had clarity. When I freaked out about losing the piece of brain, though, I went to college. So I didn't go to college until I was 26. And then I went to law school when I was 30. And then I went to Harvard Business School when I was 33. So Amazing. I did like nine years all in a row. Gosh. And that, that was sort of an overreaction. Like I have to do something with whatever brain I have left, which is most of the brain. It's a small, like it's a small right. piece. But when you when you go through that, first off, you're angry. It might be the drugs. It might be f- just physically because you had your head open. Like that that's not a right. natural thing. Right. Yeah, I was angry, and then uh, that took a little while to subside, and then I went to college, so that was it for me. I wonder if that's a normal uh, with people who have surgery on their brain, if if anger is like a a very common side effect. It might be for anything. It could be for cancer. Yeah, anything like that that might cause you to react that way. I want to shift just for a second because I've been meaning to tell you this. Uh, Listeners, one of the things that 
Anthony has been teaching our sales organization today is the importance of, with all of our customers, adding value through insights, through uh, expertise and knowledge. And you're naturally a curious person. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm listening to you talk today, I'm thinking, gosh, that makes even more sense because just your spirit, you're naturally good because you're such a learner. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't I, know how many books you've probably read, but a kajillion. Well, I, I think I have about 2,000 in my house. Now, I haven't read all those books, but I've read half of them. Yeah. Um, in, in, I'm not going to live long enough to read all these books. But the, the important part about books is having a library of books that you haven't read. Because I already know what I know. What I need is some way to know something that I don't know. And, and the way that you do that is you go out and you just find things that are interesting that widen what you're looking at and what you know. And, and that, that for me is just joy. Like I, I want to know what I don't know, which is almost everything. I, I know yeah. very like it's almost everything. So I continue to have books show up every day at my door, which I'll never have time to read in the rest of the time I'm here on earth, but I feel better knowing that they're here if I want them. I I have struggled with reading the last couple months. I, I actually really I'll try to, to go read something. And podcasts have really been my saving grace and that joy that you were talking about. Cause I love learning too. the listening to podcasts. I'll do it in the morning or when I'm driving or whatever, I, even like last Friday night, I listened to one, like that was my Friday night. That's how stoked I was to listen to a podcast, to journal and to write. And I don't know if it's maybe more of an auditory learner or whatever it might be, but that's, that's been helpful for me. Try uh, Andrew Huberman's, Huberman Labs. Yeah. I follow you know him on Yes, I do. That's a on good Instagram. One. He's awesome. He's so smart and he oh, breaks everything so down smart. and he he makes it simple for you to understand. Uh I like his podcast a lot. That's a good podcast. I don't think I'm finished talking about sales for a second. I think it's the most misunderstood profession. And I Obviously, I love sales, or I wouldn't be working in sales enablement. But I think that people still think of sales as something kind of negative. And I, I hate that. I think it's such a fallacy. They think it's something that you do to someone. But it's not. It's something that you do for someone and with someone for their benefit. Now, there's an exchange of, of money and and that's the way that you can continue to give people your insights and give them the help and the the assistance that they need but you're doing it for them and if you don't get that then you're not going to be a great salesperson like you're there to serve them they have some area where they need a better result and your expertise and your experience and what you offer them allows them to get that better result so i don't i don't understand how it could be negative when you know, when, when people said, like, you're a really good salesperson. And I'm like, I'm just trying to help people. Like, I'm not a salesperson. I would never be a salesperson. They just need help, and I call them, 
and they tell me what kind of problems they have and I sit down with them and then I try to help them solve those problems. Like I didn't think I was selling anything. Yeah. I, I was You also too naive. have figured out a way though to create uh, discipline or a process or so it's not just you wave the sales magic wand and poof I have, I'm helping a customer yeah. and listeners I went to Chicago to hear Anthony's it was a time management class a couple years ago that was right before COVID I think it was and wasn't it right I loved uh, the planning that you do on Sundays you want to talk about that oh it's Saturday and Sunday really for me I, I have to split it. Maybe into I incorporated pieces. it on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you you might be able to do it on Sunday. For me, it's a little bit harder. Uh, on on Saturday, I look back over my calendar and all my notes, and I make sure that I have all my tasks and all the things that I've promised other people. I go through that to make sure that I have everything captured. Uh, you make a lot of commitments to people that you don't remember that you make. You're like, hey, I'll send you that, and then. <laughs> Yeah, it's four weeks later and you're like, oh, I said I would send them that. They probably think I forgot. You know why? Because I forgot. Because uh, I if did. You don't, yeah. If you don't look at it and go back through those notes, uh, then, then it isn't going to be very helpful for you. Uh, after that, I go through, I have five inboxes um, that are email. And, and oh I now have condensed them down to one. But in the course of a week, I might get six or 800 emails. Yeah not counting the spam stuff. So it's a lot of work to go through those. And a lot of them are just like archive, archive, archive. But then some of them, of course, are tasks. So I yes. have to find those tasks. And then that's what I do. And then I take all the paper that comes in. I scan that in. I make a giant list of like, these are the things I have to do. I try to automate like bill pay and stuff like that. So I don't have to do too much of that. After I get that, that's just wrangling everything together. Mm -hmm. That's wrangling it together. And then Sunday, now, I'm, now I've looked at the past. Now i got to look at the future. And then I have to look and say, what do I have to prepare for this week? What meetings do I have? What trainings do I have? Are there places that I have to be? Do I have plans for these things? And then I block out time for three, three-ish 90-minute blocks Sometimes a 90 minute block for me, Sarah, is like two and a half hours. You know, I sit and down you for can 90. You do that for that long? Yeah. Because, uh, like, I I, can... even when I'm in the flow, I can't go past 90, maybe 120, but. Writing a book, I wouldn't recommend that you do it this way. I would recommend you write 500 words a day. Okay. I, I wrote, some days I wrote 5,000 words. And on one day, <sighs> I wrote 9,000 words. How and long was that? All day <laughs> uh, with breaks. I went to lunch. I took a nap. Uh, you will deplete your glucose completely if you write for like three hours. Right. You write for three hours, right. you're, you're, right. you're done. You need the energy recharge. Yes. Yeah. And then Sunday, okay, I plan the rest of the week yeah, Sunday. so that I don't have to decide what to do each day. I, I don't want to have to decide in the day because you'll make poor choices. You'll go to your email, you'll go to Instagram, you know, you'll, you'll do something other than the, the thing that you need to do first. The best habit that I ever developed around discipline was getting up really early. And for me, really early was five. And that's how I and started to write. And now it's four. And now it's four. Or which means what time do you go to bed? Nine. 
seven hours. Seven hours of sleep is how much I need. So I used to get up really early and I was good about it. COVID hit. <laughs> Went back to my old behavior. And so now 6.30, maybe 7. And I have goals every day for myself, like do yoga and do journal and do daily gratitude and, you know, those types of things. And I've read Atomic Habits, man. I've read Tiny Habits. I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm. I use Asana to keep track of all of my, <laughs> my tasks. And yet, I'm not getting up early. I got to work on that one. I, I find my writing brain yes. is a lot better when no one's asked me for anything yet today. Like, I, no one's bothered me. There's been nothing that's happened in my day that's caused me to be distracted, except for Elgato the cat who comes up. If I don't feed him right away, he comes up and he he, har he harasses wants dad me. Dad to give him some nummies. Yeah, yeah. so I have to sometimes. Uh, I'm like, why didn't like I was just up? Why did you wait until I sat down and started typing? And he never has an answer for that. So far, <laughs> I I have found at night uh, is when I can that I'm writing because I'll do a couple blog posts a week and that's when I found those vulnerable spots and maybe it's because I'm a little bit more tired I don't know why but my best writing has been at night so I think well I that's when you that. do it that's when you do it then my friend Jeb uh, Blunt you guys know you know Jeb yeah Jeb he's or, on here Jeb Jeb stays up late he stays up late when we were at Outbound He's like, let's go to dinner. And I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. No way, Jose. It's no, I couldn't do that. I feel terrible no. the next day because I ate at 10 o'clock. He, he's he's okay. He yeah. he writes yeah, at yeah, night. Yeah. I'm not like I'm I'm an early to bed, early to rise. So it's mostly finding out what works for you, right? Yeah. And then harnessing that time. I would never tell anybody to get up early if if they're a night owl. Like if you're a night owl, you're a night owl. Read uh, Dan Pink's book, Win. W-H-E-N, Win. Win, okay. Yeah. okay. Yes. I, I brought him on my podcast and I asked him, he said, um, you're probably, you know, um, what did he say? There's early birds, there's larks, and there's night owls. He's like, you're probably a lark. And I said, well, how would I know that? And he said, "Right. what time do you get up on the weekend when you don't have to get up early? And I said, like, 5.30. He goes, you're an early bird. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm an early bird. Like, I, I like to get up early. It's my... So what would be a lark? Like 7.30, 8? Yeah, yeah. I'm a lark. Yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm... lark for sure. Yeah, so that that's, it, it's your chronotype. And your chronotype's your chronotype. So you... Wait, I don't even know what chronotype means. What does that mean? Uh, your circadian rhythms, like how, how you're okay. wired for for this. And some people... I mean, if you didn't listen to, um, is it Matthew Walker that was on Huberman, who's the sleep guy, the neuroscience? I did not listen. No, I didn't listen to that. It's a three and a half so hour good. podcast. It's really good. It's long. I had to listen really? to it over three days, but it's really good. There's a lot in there about be be what you are. Like, don't don't try to be something that you're not. Whatever your chronotype is, live with it. Okay. So do you want to close with our listeners, your favorite failure story and what you learned? 
My favorite failure story. And keep in mind that failures can be any obstacle. So I had a Holocaust survivor on here. He didn't fail, right? But it, what was obstacle and, and that story of road to resiliency? Let me try to, to frame this in a way that maybe I can give this to you. Uh, I didn't trust my voice soon enough. I didn't trust my voice soon enough. It took me a while to become accustomed to my own voice as, as a writer and as a speaker. And I should have started sooner, number one, but I, I should have accepted the part of me. Now, I, I've been, I worked with two Zen masters to accept the parts of me that I didn't particularly want to look at. So I didn't want to look at them, but they will make you look at them. And they will make you understand that you're already dead. Like, because you were born, you're already dead. Like, you just have to recognize that. And you have to live with everything. You just have to live with it. And you have to accept 100% of everything. Like, the parts of you that you don't like, the parts of you that you don't like in others, that is really a reflection on you're looking at some part of yourself that you don't like. Like, yes, you, you just have to I get really comfortable that. with it. Yeah. And so you, when you, when you do that and you die here, like, okay, so once you die here, then you're free. So you have to liberate yourself and you have to liberate yourself to say, I love every part of me, even the parts that I don't want to look at. I still have to love those parts too, because that's what you are. And the more you repress those, the more that your shadows start to show up. And your shadows are way worse than any part of you that you're repressing. I guarantee it. They're way worse. So you, you have to do that work. If you've never done that work, it's not it's not always a good time. Uh, but it, it I does can't work. say I, I can say that I have fits and starts on that work and I'm still a work in progress. You're a fixer upper. I'm a fixer-upper. You're perfect just the way you are, and you could use a hell of a lot of improvement. That's how the Buddhists would say it. You're perfect just the way you are, and you could use some improvement. I cut out alcohol about four and a half years ago. And ever since I did that, it was like an awakening. And I, I did that about 25 years ago. You did? Mm-hmm. Okay, why did you cut it out? And enjoy it. And what have the benefits been for you? Because I'm going to tell you my benefits, but I want to know your benefits. Clarity. Yes. Energy. Connection with others. Yeah, just it's just better. I didn't have an alcohol problem in any way, shape, or form. I might take I had one an glass of wine, problem. but I, <clears throat> I just didn't enjoy it, and I did, it yeah. wasn't for me. I actually, I struggle. No, no. <clears throat> Yes, I had an alcohol problem. Yes, I drank too much. If you were my friends or my family, you probably wouldn't think that, but I did. Yeah, for you. Because I was good at hiding it and it was too much for me. Yeah. And I'm really passionate about the fact that it's so countercultural to not drink. And I want to make it more accessible to people and more. Uh, don't you have people that normal. say like I wish I could do that and and like mm -hmm. I, I wish I could do that and it's like well you could you can. I mean you could if you wanted yeah. to but they don't really want to 
until you want to, you're not going to. Right. So it's opened, Anthony has like opened up my world, this podcast. Uh, I mean, I, I did get a divorce, which is not, people would be like, that's pretty sucky, but it's not a, necessarily a bad thing for both of us, not just for, for both of us. And I'm doing the things I'm like, doing the things that I think I'm meant to do. Dealing with all that stuff is just called shadow work. I mean, you just have to look at it. <clears throat> how long? <laughs> do you like how I want that concrete answer? Longer than you think. So this is why I wanted to tell you this. My, my favorite mantra is acceptance is the answer. You don't have any choice. You don't have any choice, choice anyway. What are you going to do? So why, why do I want to keep white knuckling it? <laughs> Just accept it, man. It's hard. I, my fear was death. Well, that makes sense. No, it makes no sense. Everybody dies. I checked. I, I looked. There's yeah, but you got, you, you were like on the cliff. At one time. Death. I was, was afraid that your of it fear before then that. Or, oh, no, I had before that fear before then. After that, I didn't have any, I didn't really have a lot of fear. I had no fear around that. My fear was when I was younger and it stuck with me for a while. But then Why I had. Why did that a, happen? How did that even come into your consciousness, fear of death? Uh, when I was four, I walked out in the backyard and waved at the kid that lived behind us, and he threw a rock and uh, hit me in my right eye where I have a scar. And uh, that was the first, my first introduction to physical violence. And then there was a lot of other physical violence in my young life. And uh, I was always worried about dying from physical violence. Uh, by the time I had my brain surgery, I wasn't afraid of anything. I, I conquered my fears when I was about 13. But the part about dying still bothered me. And then eventually, after I did enough work, Doshin Roshi said to me, uh, you're actually not afraid of dying at all. And I said, that's an interesting observation for you to make, Roshi. And uh, Roshi's a Zen master, so that's what you call him, okay. Roshi. Okay. And he said, you know what you're afraid of? And I said, well, I thought I knew what I was afraid of, but you're going to tell me it's something different, right? And he said, yeah. He said, you're afraid of being helpless. And I was like, oh, helpless? I said, how could you accuse me of ever being helpless? Like, that can't happen to me. I'm the protagonist. I'm the hero. You're not coming to save me, Roshi. I'm coming to save you. How dare you suggest that I could be helpless and that somebody's going to have to take care of me when I'm old? And he goes, I think you found a new place where you need to do some work. Because <laughs> that's what a Zen master would tell you. Like, you, you got to go sit down with that for a while. Yes. I, when you were like, uh, when you said about, you know, what am I most afraid of? I think it's, maybe unworthiness hmm. and I'm working on that. I'm looking well, then, at that and I'm working on that. And also I am a total counterphobic. Like if there's, I have a fear, I'm going to face that fear. You right got to figure on. out where that started though. So you got to, you got to do the work. To unworthiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I can, um, I've traced it back to when I 
felt worthy. I found a picture of little Sarah where when she felt worthy. So I know when I had it, but then it gets a little bit of little bit of gray as to when it started. I think it was like sixth grade, but I haven't I haven't pinpointed it. I got to look at it and just sit with it. What do you meditate with it? What do you yeah. do? How do you look at it? Do you journal well, about it? Yeah, journaling. Uh, Doshin Roshi actually told me one time that there was a, a great Zen master who didn't meditate at all. He just wrote. And he said, you should just, if you're a writer, keep writing. So I started writing it. Yeah, you can write that. That's the same as a meditation. All you're doing when you meditate is you're looking at it and you're just letting it go by. You just look, keep an eye on it. But what you're doing is objectifying it. It's not me anymore. Now I'm looking at it over here. So if you write it on paper, now it's actually not in you anymore. It's sitting in front yeah. of you. You're the observer of it. So you write the stories. Uh, journaling for me and writing things out has, is very healing for me. It works for me. And then look at it and figure out what did I misinterpret? What, what was the event that I interpreted and that I was not worthy? And, and what did that really mean? So your mom walked by and said, Sarah, you're a terrible piano player. You're never going to be in an orchestra. Uh, you're not good enough. Why'd she say that? I don't know. She was in a bad mood. She didn't want you to chase something that you were going to get hurt if it didn't happen for you. Who knows? Like, you just have to look at those things and say, why did I give it that meaning? Why did I give it that meaning when I could give it whatever meaning I wanted? So and then my, once I give it that meaning, then do you reframe to a new meaning? Yeah. So, you know, it's super interesting. All, not, us, not, all, not all, but the, yes, we us. are for sure. <laughs> Most of my podcast guests have three things in common. They believe in something higher than themselves. It doesn't have to be religion. It could be community. It could be values. It could be whatever. They uh, are really good at observing and doing a reframe. And then the third thing is they don't do a ton of comparisons with others. They're solid in self and there's not a whole lot of comparisons of others. And I would say you hit those three things. I don't know about the first one. I think the first one, but definitely the second two. Yeah, there's something. I, I would just tell you my personal logo is a hydra. And a Same hydra, more. when you cut its head off, it grows two back. So every time you harm me, I'm actually getting stronger. And so all of the things that have ever happened to me that harmed me actually made me stronger. So I reframed all of them to say, if this had not happened, I wouldn't be this strong. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm this strong is because I've had a lot of things happen. And I got a lot of heads. Every yeah. time you chopped one off, I grew two back. So I'm doubling in strength every time. Okay, we're closing on that because nothing's <laughs> going to get any better than that, man. That was amazing. Thank you for being on today. Thanks I have, for having like, me. You have filled my bucket. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. 
Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 